I want to start out by uh, taking a little poll here. How many of you feel like, you know, you learned algebra in school? And how many of you feel like you've used it quite a lot in your adult life? There's five of us. Cool. All right. Good. Because, and, and everybody learns it, right? It's like you, you can find X. If we need to know where X is, you guys will find it because you all learned it at some point. X, X is over there. I got it. There's X. Like, cool. And we all learn that. But the reality is it's not a super useful life skill for most people. There are people that use it in their careers and professionally, and they, they do that, and they do the heck out of that, and that's great, good, right? But for a lot of people, it's not in, incredibly useful. I remember being a kid in math classes, maybe before algebra, and remember after you have to learn your times tables, and then, you, know, you walk through like seven times eight, eight times eight, nine times eight, you learn your times tables, and you learn that stuff, and, they're, and they always would tell you, because I, I don't know how you complained about it as a kid, but what, one of the things I would say was, do we have to learn this? I can just use a calculator. And then the teachers would always say, if, if you maybe grew up in my era or whatever, maybe you heard this, teachers would say, you're not always going to have a calculator on you. You need to know how to do this. But I would just like to tell my fourth grade teacher that, in fact, I do have a calculator on me at all times now in adulthood. She didn't see that one coming. I don't even know why I spent all that time learning those times tables, because I got it. There's machines for this now. We don't have to learn this stuff. It, it just occurred to me that there's a lot of things that we learned about in childhood that have a pretty limited use, right? That you, you don't actually need to know for a lot of things you, uh, of adulthood. And then there are things that would have been very useful to know that we weren't necessarily taught. Maybe one of the biggest categories of things you need to know in adulthood that you aren't taught much about in, in childhood is about money. Because hopefully you're going to have some money as an adult. You're going to get a job and you're going to work and you're going to make some money. Some of you make a little bit of it, some of you make a lot, but you're going to make something and you're going to have access to some money and it would be good to know how to handle that because once you get money, you start getting into things like APR rates and loan origination fees and, and like the yield of this kind of thing and then there's things like stocks and bonds and money market funds and all of this stuff that you're like, I don't understand all this. I can find X but I don't know how to do all of these things that have to do with money, and it would be really useful to understand compound interest and all that. It would be good to know, hey, if I want to retire one day, how do I save? How much do I save? Where do I park money to be able to do that one day? It would be good to know, hey, if I'm going to give money away charitably, where would that go, and how do I do it? How do I align that with causes that I believe in, and how does that all work, and how do they spend the money that I give, and all that kind of stuff. Like, There's loads of things to do with money, to understand taxation. And, and, and all of these things, all this stuff to do with money. And you would think almost all of that stuff is common sense. But what I've discovered from talking to a lot of adults and experienced in my own life as well, it's not all common sense. A lot of it is pretty uncommon sense. Like we don't all just magically know because we're adults how to handle all of those things. And so we're going to spend uh, four weeks talking about uh, money. The, 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 next, the next four Sundays, we want to talk about it. And here's the deal. I really like to talk about it, which is weird because we haven't talked about it at this church for years. Uh, I looked back to find it the last time we did any series around money, and it's at least four years ago. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a problem because money is such a relevant topic. 
There's a lot of things I could get up here and talk about that, are, that you would say, mm, that doesn't matter to me so much. I could talk about marriage and you might be single and you go like, I don't really care, like that's not my thing. Or you could, you, I could talk about, um, we're doing a series uh, next month for women. To go, to go, okay, women's series is great. Well, so the women in the room are like, yes, that's for me. And the men in the room are like, eh, I don't know. And then we did a series back for men and the women in the room are like, I don't know if that's for me. Like there's all sorts of things we could talk about that apply to various little segments. But when I talk about money, Everybody in the room goes, oh, well, actually, that is a thing. Like, that is something I deal with, or that, that, that is actually very relevant to me. And for that reason, I think Jesus talks about it a lot. And so I want to talk about money um, with some scriptural principles in mind of, of, of how they work. And we're going to interview some people up here about it. We'll have some good things to talk about over the next four weeks and really get into sort of some of the nuts and bolts of it because the Bible actually speaks to it a lot. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you can't read a chapter without coming across something about money, and that's several thousand years ago. You look at Jesus' teachings himself, he talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. He talked about money a ton because it was so relevant to the culture and to our culture uh, today. And another reason to talk about it is because it's a really big stressor in our lives. It's, it's something you think about a, a lot, right? You have stress about it. I actually found uh, a study that came out a couple years ago called, called Stress in America, and they talked about uh, money and where it connects to stress. Look at these statistics. 72% of adults stress about money some of the time. I, I thought that number was low, didn't you? I was like, they only... That's because the next number, 26% of adults stress about money all of the time. I was like, okay, well then, that's, okay, as long as we're clear that we're all doing this, all right, 32% of Americans say they don't have the money to live a healthy lifestyle. Okay, all right, I'll let that go. Uh, 12% said they've skipped going to the doctor or medical care because they can't afford it. Like, money, and you might say the lack of money, but how we spend it, where it goes, how much is coming in, how much is going out, this is a big deal. And it causes a lot of stress in our lives. And because it causes a lot of stress, we should talk about it. Let's talk about it because it's real and it's out there and it is uh, an issue. And I, and I think there's really two main reasons Jesus talked about it. Number one is it's such a huge felt need. Uh, when Jesus would talk about money to an agrarian society where how much money they make is probably relates to how well the crops went that year. And, and so they're reliant on a lot of things outside of their own hard work to kind of come together and, and, and get, to get the resources. People in Jesus' day, they knew what rich and poor were. They knew that some people have a lot, some people don't. They knew that some people profit off of other people, some people extort people. Like that stuff's not new. In America, this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So when Jesus talks about it, he talked about it because it's relevant. It's on people's hearts. He knows the human heart and knows it's a stressor. But the second reason Jesus talks about money a lot is because he knows it's related to our spiritual condition. It's not just a brain issue. It's, it's a heart issue. And it affects our relationship, not just with other people. Definitely money affects our relationship with other people. And you probably have story after story in your own family of that. But money affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. Now, I get that churches can talk about money, and they can sometimes do so in a very guilt-inducing way, and I'm hoping not to do that in this series. I'd like to talk about it and just use some of the things that Jesus said about it, and let's talk about it uh, the, way, the way Jesus did. So, to start with, I want to go to Jesus' most famous sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
There's, it's probably, I, I would argue, the greatest literature in the ancient world is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you look at what Jesus said and the principles that he taught there. And he spends a little section of that in Matthew chapter 6 talking about money. I've taught it from the stage before, but like I said, it's been a few years. Um, I wanted to take a look at it. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to spend a little bit of time. Now, keep in mind, when Jesus teaches this principle on, on money, this is not nuts and bolts. He's not going to get into, like, percentage rates and, you know, savings plans and college and whatever. Like, that's not what he's doing. He's going very high level on this, which is where we're going to start today. High level around, like, how does this affect your spiritual condition? Uh, How does our relationship to our money affect our relationship with our Heavenly Father? And so as he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he's teaching people about anger and lust and, you know, oaths and divorce and all these things that he teaches through, he gets to this section and he talks about money, starting in uh, verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Let me read it to you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because what's going to happen to them? Well, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's this key idea, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, Jesus lays out this principle that our heart always follows our treasure. Where we spend money, we start caring about it, about whatever the thing is that we're pouring money into. And the more money you pour into something, the more your heart gets wrapped up in that thing. Now, we like to think that it's the other way around, and we wish it was the other way around. We think, I spend money on the things I care about. And there's some part where that's true, but that actually does break down. Because for a lot of people, they go, I care about my child's education. I want to send them to college. But I didn't send money there ahead of time, so we're not ready for that. We have not saved. I didn't put my money after my heart. My money didn't follow my heart. It didn't work that way. You probably know a 16-year-old who's like, I want to get a car. I want to buy a car. But they spent all of their lawn mowing money and all their babysitting money on video games and clothes and other things. And they go, man, I really want this. My heart really after this car but no, your treasure's gone elsewhere. The reality is, it's not that your uh, treasure follows your heart. Oh, I want something, I love it, and then I'm going to spend money on it. It's, it doesn't always work that way. The majority of the time, it's actually the opposite. Jesus is teaching us that your heart is attached to your treasure. You pour money into something, you will start caring about it even more. So it's very important, if, you're, if we're talking about what you care about, what your loves are, it's very important you examine where's the money going, because my heart's going to be going after that. Look at verse 22. He continues on. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And he says this, no one can serve two masters, for he will either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this is a weird thing. He's talking about money, and then he starts talking about your eyes. He's like, you can't have good eyes. Back up, pull up that verse again right before that where he started with the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body's going to be full of light. And we're hearing this thousands of years later, and we're like, I don't know what that was about. Like, he was talking about money for a second. I was tracking with him. Heart follows treasure. Okay, I need to think about that. And then he's like, your eyes, the lamp of the body. Well, that's a phrase, that's a, a, a thing that they had in the, in the ancient world, in Jewish culture, where they would think about the eye and its relationship to your money and your generosity. So if you have a good eye, 
It means you're a generous person. If you had a bad eye, it was like being a stingy person. And he says, look, um, the way you're being, the eye is the lamp of the body. The way you're being even about your money, it's going to have an effect on all of you and, and, and your whole soul, your, your character, your, your whole person is going to be affected by this. If your eye is healthy, if you are a generous person, then your whole body is going to benefit from that. But if your eye is bad, if you're going to be stingy, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And then he just drives it home. He says, look, you can't serve two masters. Um, it's not possible to do. You're either going to hate one, love the other, or be devoted to one, despise the other. And then he puts this contrast out there, not between God and Satan. The contrast is you can't serve God and, you can't, and money at the same time. That's his main thing. Now, this doesn't say you can't have money because you can. And it's actually not a, a bad thing to have money, to make money. If you make good money, that's that's not a bad thing. The challenge becomes what do you do with it and how hard do you go after it? How much do you pursue it? Pursue it. Jesus is challenging us. How money is used, how we use it, affects your relationship with God. If you make it your goal to pursue money for the long haul, then you may get it. You just may not get a relationship with God along the way because what you made ultimate in your life was money. Instead of asking God to give us money and asking God to serve our desire for money, how about we shift that and we actually use our money to serve God? You know, we, we pray, God, you know, send me the resources. God, send me the money, which is sort of like asking him to, to, to serve our money or to give us money. What if we just said, God, uh, can I use money to serve you? Like, what if we shifted it around and said, you're the ultimate? Um, and, and, and so how do, we, how do we do that? Let me pause here and acknowledge something that we need to be very clear on as, we, as we're in this series, because in weeks to come, we'll get a little more nuts and bolts around money, around spending and saving and giving and all that kind of stuff. Um, but let me acknowledge right up front, money is a heart issue. It's not a head issue. We can think about it all day long. You can be taught about it. You can learn about, you know, percentage rates and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, money is a heart issue. How many evil things are done in the service of money? How many horrible things can you trace out in the history of the world that go back to money? If you follow money, and you've probably heard this before, follow the money and you'll see why people are doing what they're doing, right? You've heard that. And that's true on a personal level when we make decisions based on the money. But it's also true on a, like a macro level, on a nation level, when countries make decisions based on money. I've told you before, I'm a big fan of uh, history and, and war history, and particularly World War I. Uh, 100 years ago. I think it's super interesting. And um, there was a, a, a general for the Marine Corps, uh, General Smedley is his name, and he retired from the Marine Corps in the 1920s, and then he went on to serve in the Senate. And he gave a speech in the 1930s, uh, and you can look this up later if you just Google this. You can read the whole speech. It's not incredibly long. It's super interesting. It's in the, and the speech was called War is a Racket. And um, he basically traces out World War I, which he fought in. And this guy is one of the, most de he's one of the two most highly decorated Marine Corps uh, Marines of all time. So really high-level guy. And he said, um, war is a racket. It's, war is designed to make money, is what he talked about. And then he goes through and he said, you know, World War I, which in our, in our knowledge of history, it's a little murky. Like World War II, I'm a little clearer on. We just did D-Day, got that. Nazis got the whole thing. World War I's like, uh, what were we doing back there? Well, he points out, as someone who lived through it and fought in it, he said, uh, 21,000 Americans became millionaires or billionaires by profiting off of World War I. 
Isn't that incredible? I didn't even thought about that. Loads of people got rich off of the war. And then he points out that why did the U.S. enter the war? Because we came in the war very late, right, in 1918. Why did the U.S. enter the war? Um, he points out uh, because a, a group of financiers and bankers and all that went to the president and said, if the Allies lose, we're going to lose a lot of money because we have money extended out. If Germany wins, this is not going to be good for us financially. You need to do something. And the U.S. enters the war to tip the scale. I hadn't thought much about that. You maybe haven't thought much about that either. But it was one more example to me where if you follow the money, you can see why things are going on. How many lives were lost? How many scars on the face of the earth because people were pursuing money? It was surprising to me, and maybe it shouldn't have been. We think of war in terms of good and evil and principles and ideals and making the world safe for freedom and democracy and all these things. Um, but there's something else going on there. There's some deep heart issues that are related to money. This is why Paul instructs Timothy in the New Testament. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We always quote that to say money is the root of all evil. It isn't. Paul says love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Meaning if you go after, money's not evil. If you go after it with your whole heart, this is where all the problems start. This is where all kinds of evil will come from is when your heart follows your treasure around and, and a lot of um, bad things can happen. You, you've, you've seen that money's a deep, deep heart issue. There's, there's no one who doesn't care about it here on some level. If you, and when you spend money, you, you see how your heart grows with that thing. You spend money on your college, lots of money on college, and now you care about your college, right? You want to know how their football team does. You want to know how you get the alumni letter where they ask you strangely for more money. You're like, I gave you so much money. How could you even? Uh, but, you know, so they, you, but you care about your college, right? You spent money. You buy a house. You care about the house now a little more because you bought it. All these things you invest in, you pour money into, and your heart goes after them over and over. So what do we do? How do we, how do we handle that? I think what we have to do, and this is kind of the main idea for today, is we have to examine our mindset. Maybe call it a heart set if that was a word, but examine our mindset around money. Listen to what David says in Psalm 24 as he describes creation. David says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So the earth, the fullness thereof, everything you see, every person you meet, all of this is the Lord's. It all belongs to him. The mountains are for his glory. The, the, the rivers, the oceans, the things that blow your mind, the sunsets, the, 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 the people that you see, the animals that you love. All, all of this stuff is, is his. It belongs to him. We don't own it. And so what are the implications of that? The implications of this idea um, of, of the stuff is one of the implications might be is maybe we should pump the brakes on the idea that we own things. Because, you know, oh, well, that's mine. It's my car. It's my house. It's my, those are my kids, my whatever. Like, all of it is like we talk in these terms of, like, I own it. But maybe we could pump the brakes on that a little bit because the truth is, I don't know if you do. Maybe it actually all belongs to God. And if we thought that way, how would that change how we view our house? Our, our, this is my piece of land. Is it, though? These are my children. Are they or do they belong to God also? What if... Your money is not your money. What if even your money belongs to 
God? How would that change our, our mindset? See, I think there's a difference in mindset. Let me, let me explain. Um, when you have an owner's mindset, you think it's yours. Um, the very first car I got in high school was a 1981 Volvo 240. I have a rough picture of it. It was beautiful and boxy. Good, safe car for a teenager to drive around. Um, it had uh, approximately 280,000 miles on it. I say approximately because that's when the odometer stopped working. So it was probably 300-something thousand miles on it. But it's a Volvo, so it's going to run forever. Um, it had a sunroof, which was handy because it didn't have air conditioning. And I lived in Florida, and that was just a bad combo of things. Uh, so it was this boxy car. Um, and it, like, I remember the way the stick shift worked. I learned to drive stick on that. It was, it was fun. Um, and it was never a great car. Nobody was ever like, oh, Chris, you got the coolest car. They had never, no one ever said that about my car. Um, but you know what it was? It was mine. It was mine. My parents, my dad was like a Volvo fanatic, so we had, you know, we would go through these. But it was my car. I didn't care if it was ugly, if it was boxy, it, like, barely worked or whatever. It was mine. It was like your, it's like your weird uncle. You're like, okay, he says weird things and keeps forwarding me weird things online. But he's ours, so we'll see him at Thanksgiving, and that's just it. That's kind of you know, like the ownership. Well, i got to own this thing because it's mine. And I took some, some pride there in, in, in owning that. And that, it's the owner's mindset. This thing's mine. I'm going to make sure you don't scratch it. You know, don't scratch it. Don't mess it up. This is mine, right? That's an owner mentality. This thing belongs to me. I, I got it. Then you can have a renter's mentality where it doesn't belong to you, right? And that's a little bit of a different thing. When we moved to Richmond in 2006, we still had a couple houses. We had two houses, actually, down in Norfolk. And one of them we had rented out. And so we rented out a house. It's the house we used to live in. And before we moved out, we, we set this house up to be nice. Like, we, we had um, gotten the lawn people to come and, like, the, our grass after so many years of it looking terrible, started to look pretty good. And it was like one of the nicer lawns in the neighborhood. And you cut it, and you're like, hey, this is looking good, you know, the grass. And, and uh, we, we got new carpet, and it was like this almost like oatmeal kind of flecked kind of cool. It looked really nice. You know, it was like a sort of beige color. It, looked, it was the nicest carpet we've ever had. It was like this great carpet. And we turned over the keys to this lady and said, this is your house now, and she's going to rent it from us. And over the course of a year... Uh, she had a big dog that she let run through the yard and it destroyed the yard. Then she let the dog run through the house and it destroyed the carpet so that when we got the house back, there were holes in the carpet where you could see the, 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 the wood underneath. Um, she took the back porch and piled up garbage onto the porch and then threw a tarp over it. I don't know why. The neighbors were not real happy with me as the owner of the house. I'll have, they were like, what did you... And so um, then she blacked out the windows and we believe started cooking meth in there. So she's breaking bad up in our house, and um, that wasn't awesome. And so maybe that's why there's holes in the, I don't know, chemicals. I don't know. It was a mess. We eventually, she gets out of the house. She wants her security deposit back. I'm like, you're not getting your security deposit. You've destroyed everything in this house. There's dents in the thing, and this needs to be painted like it's a whole mess. And then she, at this time, I was living up in Richmond, and then at that point, she threatened to send someone up here to kill me. And I thought she was actually capable of it. Uh, so that wasn't a really fun time in my life. Um, and then my wife swears that about a year or two later, she saw her on Judge Judy. So it was weird. It was just a weird situation, right? Like, this went down. Um, and the deal is, it's not her house. She's renting it. So who cares? Like, 
oh, we'll trash this, mess this up. And so there was a, a different mentality there of like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to uh, do with this however I feel like it because at the end of the day, I don't have to own that. And so there's an owner's mentality where you're like, this is great. There's a renter's mentality. You're like, whatever. Um, and those are mostly what we think of. But I think there's one more mentality that we need to get straight, and it is a stewardship mentality. A stewardship mentality says, this doesn't belong to me, but I love the one to whom it does belong. And so because I love them, I want to treat this well, right? When someone says to you, a friend says, can you watch my kids? You go, I don't want to mess this up. Those are, those are not my kids. Those are someone else's. And I love that person. I want to treat them well. I'm, I want to be a steward. I want to care for the things that um, I, I have that have been given to me uh, temporarily. And, and in some ways, I will treat these things better than they are my own. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If, if this is all his, then it is my responsibility to take care of it. If I wreck it, I will damage the earth, but I will also damage the relationship that I have with the one who gave it to me, with, with my heavenly father. What if I took a stewardship mentality to everything in the world? This is baked in very early on in Genesis chapter 2 when God sets Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what he says to Adam. It says, the Lord God took the man, Genesis 2.15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He said, all right, I'm going to give you a garden. Your job, the words work it and keep it there in Hebrew, it's the idea of caring for, cultivating, protecting, overseeing. You are going to watch over all of these things that I have given you. I've given you the raw resources. I've given you a beautiful place. Now your job is to be a steward of it. It's not yours. You don't own it, but you are going to care for it. That's what we're called to do. Now, the environmental concerns of that are obvious, right? That you could, you could use that as an environmental text and say, look, it is a responsibility of mankind to care for the, the earth that we live on. And I, and I agree with that. We should be stewards of the creation that God has given us. But let's extend that out. If we are stewards of his creation, does anything truly belong to us? Is anything really ours? I don't think it is. Our car, our house, or the apartment, uh, the, all of these things, our, our, even our money, is our money ours or does it actually belong to God? Now, it's really easy to act like money is ours and to not think of it as stewards but to think of it with an owner's mentality because after all, if you have money, you probably went and earned it somewhere. You went and got a job and you did your work and you got your education and then you did that thing and then they paid you for it and it's very easy to be like, that money is mine. I have earned it rightfully. It was given to me for my hard work. And I'm not going to knock anybody's hard work because I think, yeah, I get that. I understand why, why we say that. And I'm like American and I'll go rah-rah capitalism and all that kind of stuff. But let's be realistic about some things, even as we make money. Let's be realist, realistic about the fact that you have some skills and talents that probably were there from birth. And you didn't pick those. And some of those are very advantageous to you to, to, to get your job. You were taught some things by people who were more knowledgeable than you, who spent time investing in you to help you learn how to do the thing that you now make money off of. You live in a place where your hard work is financially rewarded. There are people that work much harder than you or I in other parts of the world that don't live in a place where that gets rewarded. So they just have to work hard and they get very little for it. You live in a place, in a country, where your hard work is rewarded. And you living in this country is also probably not your choice. If any of us were born here, I haven't met the person yet who had any say in where they were born, right? That was not your choice. 
Someone who came before you said, you're going to be born here and you're going to live here. And so I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say, every dollar you've ever made has been handed to you. You've done nothing to earn any of it. I'm, I'm not going that far. But what I, I do want to say is, can we at least have the humility when we earn money? Can we at least have the humility to say, if I have anything, it is actually a blessing from God. There are other factors in play here that allowed me to get to the place that I'm at right now. That's a stewardship mentality. What would change if we take a stewardship mentality about even our money? I think we would freak out less if we took a stewardship mentality. We would be less worried about what about do I have enough and we wouldn't white knuckle it so hard because we would go this all belongs to the Lord and I trust him to be faithful and to take care of me. We might freak out less, be less tight-fisted, less worry. Um, if I believe all of this is from God, then I'm less scared. He's the one who makes it rain. I don't make it rain. That's not, that's not my role. Um, and it allows me to be generous with money because after all, it's coming from him. And giving away his money is different than, I suppose, giving away money if I thought it was all my own. If someone came up to you and said, hey, I'm working for the Bill Gates Foundation. We want you to, to um, go ahead and spend $50 million a year of Mr. Gates' money on charitable causes. We want you to sort through and figure out what the causes are, and then you go ahead and, and you know, send out the money. We'll give you $50 million a year to spend uh, on these causes. Just make sure it goes to some good places. First of all, that sounds awesome, right? Because you'd feel like Santa Claus all the time. Like you get, you, it's like I get to spend this, someone else's money and I get to be generous and like make these people happy and write them a check. And you know, you imagine yourself standing next to large checks that someone, you know, is like, and then the photo op, like, like that sounds great. You get to spend someone else's money and give it away generously. That's, that would be like an awesome gig. But I also think you would be very careful where that money goes because you want to keep doing it. You want that generosity to keep flowing. You would think, hey, I need to handle this well and not be wasteful here. Even though it's not mine, I want to be generous with it and I want to take it seriously so that I can continue to do it. And I think that is the stewardship mentality that, and the shift that we need to get in our minds. So, so this is it today. Before we, before we talk about spending, before we talk about giving or saving or talk about the different, like the five different ways that you can use money. Before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of those things, um, we need to think about the mindset. We need to get our minds and hearts right. Is the money really yours or does it all belong to him? And if everything in this earth, everything, even the things that you, you have or we think we have, if all of that belongs to him ultimately, how does that change how we feel about it. How does that change where our hearts go with it? Let's, let's pray. Lord, help us to um, get our minds and hearts aligned here around, around money. It is a, a topic people get nervous about. They get nervous about it in the church. Um, people get maybe a little on edge around this topic because, uh, Lord, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, church is praying and fasting and faith and all those kinds of things, but money's a different category. But uh, God, you have taught us through Jesus that money is so connected to our hearts. And, and you are, um, Lord, you are not so much interested in our wallets as you are interested in what's in our hearts. So God, may we use this series to examine our hearts, not just to examine our finances, but to examine 
our heart connection to these things and, and examine the pressure points and the ways that we are stressed and where we have tension and, and where, we, where we worry. Um, God, um, whether we make a little or whether we make a lot, um, there's pressure that comes along. And so, God, we want to hand all of that over to you and say, uh, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. This is, this is your stuff. This is yours to handle. Help me to be a steward of it. God, help us to make our, that shift in our language, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would, that we would make a shift towards uh, a stewardship mentality over what you have given to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.